Hey, 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 welcome to another week of Jesus is freaking dope. Um, and and always relevant and so much to say. Uh, he's been challenging me with this all week. Uh, I imagine he'll challenge you. And uh, it is it's time for your Sunday dose. And it is kind of later on a Sunday afternoon, uh, later than I sometimes try to get these out. Um, and, and not because you're asking, or maybe even because you care, but I woke up at 1230 today, which is pretty late. Um, and kind of slothful, maybe even embarrassing, but also awesome. I uh, decided heading into this weekend with no like kids sports and things that I had to get up for that I was going to Sabbath hard. And I have done that uh, yesterday and today. So uh, hopefully you are Sabbathing hard and and resting in the truth of who God is, because it's what helps us practice trusting him uh, and having the energy for the rest of the week. Uh, Sabbath, like many things, is a spiritual practice and discipline that, um, well, I guess it can give you an excuse to sleep into 1230 potentially. Um, anyway, uh, this week we are jumping into what is the seventh or so of these Beatitudes. And, um, this week kind of dovetails really with all of them, but especially last week. Um, and so here's what Jesus says, Matthew five, verse nine, Jesus tells us, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Now, similar to last week in that the promise was blessed with the pure of heart for for they will see God. And just like seeing God, being the children of God is the same kind of idea that sort of undergirds every promise of every religion in the world, that you get to see God, that you get to be with God, or that you get to be his children. And being children of God is this very uh, powerful and consistent imagery used throughout the entire story of Scripture but in particular for the Apostle Paul, when he would take this message of Jesus to people who were non-Jews around the Greek and Roman world of the first century, people that we have a whole lot more, most of us, in common with than, than per se the ancient Jewish people, um, or even the like first century Jewish people that, that Jesus was a part of, um, we, you know, we can connect with a lot of those things. And when, when Paul went around telling them about Jesus and starting churches, he... He didn't use rabbi disciple imagery because that was not a familiar thing to people outside of the Jewish context, but but rather he used this imagery of family and of adoption because, uh, I mean, everybody understood family and the good and the bad of that, but all of us can understand sort of the ideal of what family could be, should be. And so this idea of the family of God, children of God, um, and in particular adoption uh, in the Roman world was really, really potent because you could adopt, you could legally adopt um, just like today. And those those children you adopted just like today would have full family status, name change, access, inheritance, all of those things. And so if you were, you know, perhaps an orphan in those days or even a slave in those days, the one of the goals could be like hitting the lottery that some family you've served loves you so much they adopt you and make you one of their own. And so Paul used that same kind of imagery and idea to explain what it was that Jesus did for us and invites us into. We get to be children of God, part of the family. We have a perfect heavenly father and a perfectly heavenly mother in God. He, he encompasses both uh, what a great mom and a great father uh, is supposed to be and can be and is found in him and his character for us. And, um, yeah. And then, so the, back to the the phrase, Matthew five, nine, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the children of God. And, 
and, th and this is super cool because there's kind of this promise um, in all of these that not only is there blessing found, but that the world around, like not just that we're blessed, but that the world is blessed because of peacemakers. The world gets blessed because of children, because of the children of God. And so one of the ways you can say it is like one of the best ways to think about um, how the world will come to know the hope and love of Jesus and what he promises is through you. Because the world will experience him when they experience you doing and living this kind of blessed life he describes. When you are a person through your love and your actions who who generates peace, not more conflict, tension, gossip, blame, etc., you become someone who's like an instrument of God that helps the world experience a truer, better way, a better family identity, a better way of relating. And this is the kind of compelling mission of, of what Jesus began in the movement of Christianity or what became known as the Christ, Christianity. Like the whole thing is not just that Jesus is our savior, but that through us, he'll, he'll mold and shape us to have the kind of character where we are instruments of his reconciliation, where we're instruments of his love to the world around us. And so this peacemaker idea is massively important um, and something Jesus spoke about a lot and would reference how, um, you know, the world uses power in certain ways, but as followers of Christ, we're invited to give it away, not use it in, in the same ways the world does. Jesus even says this phrase one time to his early disciples who, like you and I, they would struggle with who, who's, who's the best of the disciples, who gets to be closest to Jesus, um, you know, kind of jockeying and positioning for power. And Jesus would say, not so with you. Like the world uses power and authority to lord over others, but not so with you. The world, and in the same way, this idea of peace comes in that, you know, you can fight sword with sword, missile with missile, insult with insult, but not so with you. As followers of Jesus, we are invited to something radically different and incredibly hard and only comes from a place of faith in who Jesus is and what he did and what he does and who he is still today, that we can be someone who trusts revenge to him and not take it upon ourselves. Someone that, that, uh, in the same way we've been forgiven by God, we become uh, instruments of forgiveness. And I said this a few weeks ago, but forgiveness is, I, I think, the single most powerful act that you and I have as human beings and as followers of Christ. It is the most potent way that we can give grace, which does not excuse evil, but says, I will not match your evil with more evil. And it is the only thing that can really uh, break the cycle of conflict, of tension, of war, um, of all that we see wrong in our own relationships, in our own soul at times, and especially in the world at large. That is, you know, I was reading about the, the war in Sudan this morning, and then obviously right now, current is everybody looking at what's been happening in Israel and the Gaza Strip. But, you know, for two years, there's been stuff happening in the Ukraine and with Russia, and there's always so many other little wars and things that we, you know, they don't hit the, the headlines or the news in the same way, but they are just constant reminders of people hurting people, of the lack of peace that is in this world. And Jesus is calling us to be peacemakers, and he's serious about it. <laughs> and so we have a responsibility in the ways we view those huge conflicts where power is being enforced by violence, and and in the, the more kind of micro moments of our own life when somebody you know, cuts us off in traffic or steps on our toes uh, metaphorically at work or uh, says some terrible thing behind our back, how we respond to those little things 
and how we view those big things. Um, we're called to be peacemakers in this world, not lovers of war. We should never be uh, rooting for and excited about people being bombed or killed or any of that. That's just the opposite of so much of what Jesus has to say. So when you when you say the word peacemaker, I love um, kind of the imagery. It's obviously someone who makes peace, right? So we're called to be like generators of peace. Um, and then as I was thinking of, of peacemaker, it's like, well, what are the opposites that are more natural? Like being a war maker, right? I mean, if... if I, um, I, I think of most conflicts when I, you know, think of the atrocities that happened in the past as excuses for seeking revenge. Like I can relate with that. I, 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 it's more natural for me to want to, to make war as opposed to make peace or to be a conflict starter or a resentment cultivator or a tension creator or a pot stirrer or a revenge seeker or a hate monger. Or maybe just a judgmental provocateur <laughs> or a condescending manipulator. Like there, there are so many ways that are more natural and easy and kind of, you know, sometimes we can see them as very human. It's very human to act in those ways. But Jesus shows us in himself that, that truly being human is about being a peacemaker, not those other things. That those are a lesser warped uh, misuse of our humanness, of our human power in the thoughts we have, the words we speak, and the actions we take. We can make them about making peace, or we can be those who stir up war and conflict and tension and judgment and hate. And all of this comes back to just that simple word, peace. Uh, now, this word peace in the Hebrew language um, and, and kind of the idea behind this is shalom, this ancient Hebrew word. This uh, was a way of saying hello to you, like, like peace upon you and peace upon me, that we... Before we can hope to make peace in this world or make peace in a relationship, we each have to do this internal work of being at peace internally first. And that's uh, very difficult to do. And and the, I don't know if this is going to sound overly simple, but I think it's really, really true. That all of the conflict that we see in life, that we experience in relationships and in traffic and in, you know, people acting crazy in lines at stores because they're busy and... Uh, economic issues or people taking advantage of the impoverished or, you know, greed and lack of integrity in corporate situations or wars like Israel and Hamas, all of it stems from people, individual people, not being at peace in themselves and trying to find peace in something external to themselves. And I'll show you this in a couple of ways, but there's a really cool moment in Jesus's teaching where John, this is from the gospel of John, where he, he quotes Jesus's teaching a bunch of things and similar to Matthew, but John quotes Jesus in Matthew, or sorry, in John 16, John quotes Jesus, making sure I say this right, in John 16, 33. And Jesus says this, I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. Now, I love that. If he stopped right there, that'd be great. So he's, he's told us this stuff and he's lived this life so we could have peace. But then he goes on to say, in this world, you will have trouble. Well, crap, but he's not done there. Then he says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, I'm sure you've heard of a crap sandwich where you try to give constructive criticism to someone by saying something nice, then saying something that seems negative and saying something nice. And this verse to me reads like a crap sandwich. I wish he had just left out the middle part. 
I wish he had said, I've told you these things so that in me you can have peace. Take heart, I've overcome the world. But he doesn't. He says these great promises. He wants us, he promises us that we can have peace. So if we're not having peace, the question for you and I is, is the problem Jesus or is it me? And is the problem in this world or is it inside of me? And, and am I taking heart and am I trusting in him as the victor who's overcome the trouble of this world? I love this. Um, but the middle, he says this equally as a promise that in this world, you will have trouble. Not, I mean, let's be honest. I, I wish he had just left that part out. I wish that we didn't have trouble. And then I wish that, all right, if we're going to have trouble, that I can make sense of it by blaming. So in this world, you will have trouble when you sin. And, and that's true, but he doesn't say that. Or in this world, you will have trouble because others sin. And that's also true, but that's not what he says. Or you will, you will have trouble when you deserve it. And so if I just do the right things and pray the right prayers and try to be a good person, I don't want trouble in my life. And yet Jesus is saying, no, you, you will have trouble because this world is full of people just like me in need of a savior, just like me who will operate out of my own uh, limited free will. Uh, you know, we don't have like ultimate free will. Like I can't choose to fly, um, but I definitely get to make decisions that really impact people. And so in my decision-making, I will make decisions that are selfish, that are impatient, that are mistrusting, that assume nefarious intent, that are uh, not taking responsibility, that are not productive, that are not reconciling. And because I have that ability, I will be someone who will generate trouble and tension and problems and hurt in other people's lives. That's a reality. And then when you take that simple truth just between me and another person, and you multiply it by billions of people that currently live in this world, and then you multiply that by the billions of people who have lived throughout human history. Well, we have a world that's pretty messy, full of people, individually and collectively, making decisions that don't lead us towards peace, but rather cause pain and struggle and hurt and need forgiveness in this world. And so when you look at the magnitude of all of that, Jesus comes along and offers you a different way of viewing the world. To no longer look to the world for your peace, to look to society and others to approve and affirm you and tell you you're great, but to find the truth that you are great because you are in him because of what he's already done. And so in this world, you'll have trouble, but he came so that you can have peace in the midst of it. You can take heart. You can trust that he's overcome it. This is awesome. And so Jesus, you know, we... He's not trying to butter us up. He's trying rather maybe to think of it as like he's trying to sober us up to the reality and to the truth. Well, especially any of us, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast and you're listening to it on a phone and I'm recording this into a microphone, like we are the most privileged people in the world. Like we, it, actually in human history, like we spend money on things that we don't need and that are not essential to live. We are ridiculously blessed. And, the, and the, the problem in that blessing is that we take it for granted and we forget. And we think the world uh, and life is best uh, when we are focused on our comfort and our convenience. That's what all of you know marketing is trying to give us is comfort and convenience. And Jesus is inviting us into a better way to live, but it is not about comfort and convenience. And so he's sobering us up that don't think following me and don't think living a blessed life comes from avoiding trouble and conflict uh, and, and having just convenience and comfort and having everything go the way you want because it won't happen and it's not the way to live the fullness of life. 
that despite all that's wrong and broken in this world, you can not only have an internal peace and know truly who you are, but you can live a productive, reconciling uh, type of life that impacts the world around you every day at work, every day with your neighbors, with your family. Um, and so he's, he's sobering us up to this reality, this truth that he came that we can have peace. And, and because we live in a sin-filled world, separated from, from our, our creator, from our source of love and life, uh, we're going to face trouble. But we can choose to live by faith. We can choose to take heart and put our confidence in Jesus and in his victory and in his lordship, not in our temporal current circumstances, in our temporal current sense of justice and what's right or wrong. You will get wronged. There will be wrong. In fact, it's almost like Jesus is saying, hey, don't be surprised when, it's, when you're wronged. Learn to anticipate it and be prepared to respond like Jesus to it, not just out of your human nature. Um, and so we can face life through this perspective of Jesus's victory, despite the troubles that we'll face. That's his invitation. And that we'll find that by living in this perspective of Jesus's victory and what he says is true about us, despite the troubles we'll face, there's blessing in it. And that the blessed life is found in this way. So, you know, troubles around us and fear. One of the ways you could kind of summarize human history, but especially summarize the story of scripture, is that it's a story of separation. A story that began in all that is good and perfect and in harmony and vulnerability and connection to God and to our source of life and love. We knew who we were, but, but we've been separated from that. And so, you know, now all of us, like our greatest fears are death, which Jesus says he came to alleviate. We're afraid of being powerless. We're afraid of being alone in life. Um, and, and we end up, because of this, living from a place of scarcity, that we view the world in scarcity. And so separation is, uh, in a way, what Scripture calls sin. Sin is separating ourselves from God's way and doing it our way. So we've all separated ourselves from God, and God's the ultimate source of life and security. And because we've fallen short of that, we live this life, if we don't wake up to this reality of Jesus, trying to um, live our life looking for security and affirmation and encouragement and peace from things that cannot give it to us. And so Jesus comes along as this reconciler, not as a separator, not as someone, you know, sometimes Jesus is used as a separator, as a way of excluding who's in, who's out. But Jesus comes along as a reconciler. And his primary goal for you is not to have peace, like a peaceful life or, a, you know, hashtag best life, blessed life kind of thing, but that you would live by faith, trusting in his presence, which will bring you peace, that you are someone who's cultivating internal peace so that you can be externally a peacemaker, All right, It's this kind of peace that surpasses understanding, that transcends your circumstances and your trouble, to live from a place of abundance, from a place of the unconditional love that God has for you and has promised for you. And, you know, I've heard that this referred to as like all of us have these like God-sized holes in our heart. Another way to think about it, in fact, there's a book uh, written about this that's really good. It's called The Search for Enough. And and I should say, I've, I've heard it's really good. I actually haven't, I just started reading it yesterday. I haven't made it that far, but I heard really great things. That's why I'm reading it. Um, but it's called The Search for Enough. And in the foreword, it says this about the ache, this like human ache, this hole that we have in our heart. He says, the ache for enough, the desire across gender, race, class, and creed in all of us to feel I'm okay, more than okay, good, 
happy, at peace, safe, full of hope for the future, but more than content in the reality of now, to feel what the ancient Hebrews called shalom, the inner experience of a soul at ease. And then the, the forward goes on to give these examples, and I, I love them. I, I bet you'll relate with them. Um, but he, the forward says this, you know, the way this ache shows up in our life, separate from, from trying to get it out of Jesus. Uh, you see the ache in the driven careerist out to conquer the world and make it to the top. Or the ache you see in the artist willing to bleed her soul to make it. Or in the Tinder, the app Tinder, swipe right Tinder, that in the Tinder wanderer seducing his way through bar after bar. Or this ache in the travel junkie chasing one exotic passport stamp after another. The ache of a pastor preaching another sermon in hope that her work for God will somehow quench her inner deficit of love from her family of origin or the scrappy high school student pulling all-nighters to make it in the Ivy Leagues to get himself on the road to success. These kinds of stories are the stuff of life from the kitchen table gossip to the mythologies of every culture, ancient and modern. The ache inside of us for peace, for shalom, to know that we are enough. And Jesus comes along and says, I promise you this. I came that you can have it. You will have trouble in this life. But in me, you can find something different. And so this is a call. This is so important for you and I to learn what is true about us. What, what's true about us in Christ. And, and that the truest version of us is found in God and anything else. Uh, that we do outside of God, outside of his design, outside of his love, outside of his purpose and his plans is false and will lead us to places of emptiness and tension and conflict and struggle and trouble. We then must learn to discern between false ideas and true ideas, between our false sense. Like when there are moments, every one of us, every day where we operate out of a false sense of ourselves, something that's not true, that we, that we must learn to like start recognizing those, discern those moments and, and discern the false ideas behind those, the lies that we tend to believe, the ideas that compete for our attention and our allegiance, and rather align back to what the truth of Jesus said and invites us to believe, that we must you know, adopt a lifestyle of self-examination every day, being mindful and challenging ourselves to learn and discern truth according to Jesus. And, and that requires us to unlearn some things. And so you can think of it this way, for nearly all of human history, survival for us humans um, required constant mindfulness and intentionality just to simply survive, right? We had to plant crops, we had to plan for droughts, we had to build shelters, we had to learn to adapt and protect ourselves from the elements of nature and from warring tribes that could attack. But but today, most of that is gone. For for most of us, especially if you're listening to a podcast, like you're, you, you are ridiculously blessed like I am. So we have to choose to be mindful and intentional um, in a different way because it's not about survival every day. And if we don't, we're going to drift through life. Like we're going to drone through life, um, not really thinking and not really being intentional about the things that we want and need in life. In fact, what we might do unintentionally is begin to think that our primary purpose and goal in life is to be at peace, is to be comfortable is to have a lack of trouble in our life. And, and so if we're not careful, thinking that that actually be, that becomes the primary thing that we're chasing, convenience, comfort, uh, we then start to numb our life 
<laughs> by experiences and entertainment and things that, that aren't in the service of others, but rather in the service of ourselves. And I love the way um, this psychiatrist who became a Christian, really interesting author, writer, thinker, he's written a bunch of stuff, but his name is M. Scott Peck. And um, he speaks of this in a book he wrote called People of the Lie. And so he says this about people um, today in, in retrospect to, to human history and how so many others have lived. He said, we neither, uh, sorry, we had neither the time, uh, start over. And so he says in this book that like when we think of what it would have been like to live a thousand years ago and thousands of years ago versus today, uh, he says this, we had neither time nor need for much introspection, but as we have tamed the external threats, internal dangers have arisen with proportional rapidity. The major threats to our survival no longer stem from nature without, but from our own human nature within. And uh, in my current work, I work with a lot of therapists and people in the behavioral health space, and they just talk about, actually even in the education space, how, how we are just facing this human um, epidemic of mental health, that our, our lives are so comfortable, we don't know how to live with ourselves. <laughs> and, and so we're so full of anxiety and fears and things um, that, that are causing all kinds of havoc uh, on individual people and addictions and marriages and kids' lives. And... Each one of us, you and I, like according to Jesus, if we're going to follow him, we're invited to see something different and live from a place that is different and healthier and at peace. Um, I learned this. There's a, a really awesome missionary couple who've become pastors in Tennessee named Jamie and Donna Winship. And uh, he actually just published his first book last year called Fearless. But um, they do this work around identity and they explain something in a way that uh, has just been really transformative for me. And um, if you've heard me teach, you've heard me talk about this in the past, but I'm going to give it to you again here because it directly connects with what Jesus is telling us. Uh, remember, Jesus said blessed and blessing are, are found for those who are peacemakers, for they'll be children of God. This is what the family of God looks like. We're peacemakers. And so what um, Jamie Winship and them kind of propose is there's this simple formula to understanding all that's wrong in the world, right? So take the conflict in Israel or Ukraine or any other one from human history and the conflict in your own personal relationships. External conflict comes from internal conflict, that we aren't at peace inside of ourselves. And that internal conflict, if you trace the source, it leads back to fear. Fear inside of each one of us causes us internally to, to not have peace and to have conflict. And when, we, when we're not recognizing the fear and we have this internal conflict, it will naturally pour out and affect people around us. Fear will cause us internal lack of conflict or lack of peace. Fear will cause us to uh, be impatient, be revengeful, whatever. And all of that fear stems, if you go deep enough, to realizing it comes from a place of false self, not knowing who you really are. And I love this idea, and I, th I think I mentioned this even last week, but Dallas Willard, brilliant pastor, theologian, thinker, he one time, like in being asked for a, a definition of discipleship, how do you know if you're like following Jesus well? Um, and and as I, his, his answer surprised people, and I think it's really potent, that you know that you've reached some maturity in discipleship because you are difficult to offend. It's hard to offend you. 
Because if you think about it, if you really get to the truest sense of who you are in Christ, who he's already said you are, how loved and how, how much you are worth leaving heaven for and, and now leaving and preparing heaven for us, like it, truly living from this place of understanding our identity as in Christ and what's true about us is in Christ and our security for the future is in Christ, then nothing in this world can shake us. Nothing said by someone in this world can offend us because... Well, Jesus is just bigger than anything we're going to face in this world. Jesus is bigger than any insult. Jesus is bigger than any ill intent targeting towards you that someone was malicious, unkind, got you fired. Jesus is bigger than that, which means you can have peace even in the worst moments of your life because you can trust and fall into the hands of a loving God who says, I got you. And I can use anything in your life and redeem anything in life, not just the sins of others and their dumb decisions that have affected you, but I can even use your dumb decisions and mistakes and sin to grow you into the person who I have loved. Long, like I wove you together in your mother's womb. I know you and I love you. And I'm just trying to get you to understand that you are mine. And so you don't need to look to anyone or anything else for that sense of peace. And so if, if you flip this external conflict, which comes from internal, which comes from fear, which comes from false self, and you flip it around and you begin to, to process and work, start kind of at the deepest level. How do I know my true self? And, 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 and just use fear as an example. Whenever you feel afraid, anxious, uncomfortable, um, whatever those fears are, dig into where is that coming from a false sense of who you really are in Christ? And what does Christ have to say that's bigger than whatever that fear is? Because when you can start from that place of the true self, then you can choose to operate, take actions, to think from a place of love, a place of security, a place of knowing God's got you. And when you have that love, then you can do the work to internally have peace. The peace that Jesus promises us. It's attached to his love and it's attached to knowing who we are in him. And when we have eternal peace, when we, when we recognize the ache and the fear that leads us away from Jesus and come back to him and what he said, when we know that we're loved, we can have this peace that he promised us despite the external conflict and troubles that we will have. We can have this internal peace based on the fact that, that, that Jesus is encourage us to take, to take heart because he's already overcome all that's broken. And so in a way you could say every moment that I feel anxious, every moment that I feel afraid is a moment where I'm choosing to trust in my sense of fear more than I trust in Jesus's victory over fear, over death, over sin, over brokenness, over the troubles of this world. I want to make sure I'm having my faith in him, not in the trouble. <laughs> I have my faith in what he can do for me and what he's said. I don't have my faith in the conflict and the tension and the troubles that I'm facing. And, and this is so important. And the New Testament talks about this a ton because when we're not focused on trouble in this light, what we'll tend to do is make people the source of our trouble. And so, you know, it's, it's terrorists are the problem and, and greedy people are the promise or the problem and the 1% are the problem and my neighbor is the problem and my spouse is the problem and my kid's crappy perspective is the problem. It's not. It's just fear and separation, people operating out of a false sense of self. And the more I learn to see that despite all of that lack of true self and love, I can be an agent of peace 
cultivating it internally so that I can be it externally. Because the only hope you and I have to live into Matthew 5, 9, to be blessed as peacemakers is because we do this internal work. And we don't live from a place of fear. You know, fear shows up in self-protecting and self-promoting primarily. And so you and I, whenever we find ourselves self-protecting, self-promoting, we change, make a different decision that we can be people who are other protecting and other promoting. And that peace comes not from the world around us, but internally. And not from just some like self-help work or mindfulness or meditation act, but from this constantly reorienting of our fear and our false sense of self to align it with our faith in Christ. Then we can respond out of love. Then we can respond out of forgiveness. And we can have an internal peace despite the inevitable external conflicts that will be around us. And then we can not look to the world to give us our peace, but we can be makers of peace. And that is our calling, generating internal peace so that we can be makers of peace in this world. That is the call for you if you believe in Jesus. If you're following Jesus, you are called to act out of love. It is the way he summarized all of the scriptures. You don't need to memorize another scripture verse. You don't need to know some other fine point of theology to to better follow Jesus. You need to act out of love. And if you refuse to act out of love, what hope does the world have to know and experience Jesus? See, that's not the problem. It's not that the problem is that the world is dark. The problem is that those of us with this light and hope don't shine it in all the ways that it needs, right? You can't make a world more dark. You can't take darkness, you know, like add darkness into a world or into a room. You can only take light out of it. You can only put light like under a bowl makes no sense. That's actually one of the things Jesus will be telling us next. So uh, I hope that today and this week, you will be challenged to make peace around you. Find moments when you feel offended and, and try to do the forgiving peacemaking thing. Active resolution and reconciliation. Again, it's never about pretending like being a doormat and just letting people walk all over you. That is not humility. If you go back to like the blessed are the meek, but, but we are people as peacemakers who are like the single action of that is just forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness coming from this space of, of love. And, and it's not just that like Jesus summarized all the scriptures into the word love, like love God and love people. But he ultimately later would say, the world will know that you are my disciples if you follow my one commandment and it's love. What is love? You know, that's a word that we use too much and it means too little sometimes. It's kind of empty. But the kind of love that Jesus is talking about is is what he showed us on the cross. It's self-sacrificing. It's others-oriented. It's enemy-loving. It's drawing its source of identity and security from something outside of this world. Because everything about Jesus dying on a cross is embarrassing if you're just looking from a human perspective. Shameful. Weak. He got defeated. Because we live in a world that says power is enforced by violence. And Jesus came to show you and I something different. That he operates from a power enforced by love. That will go all the way to letting you kill it. To show you that it's still bigger than you and I. 